You're listening to Coding Blocks, episode 108. Subscribe to us and leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and more using your favorite podcast app. And find show notes, examples, discussion, and more at the website, codingblocks.net. Send your feedbacks, questions, and rants to comments at codingblocks.net. Follow us on Twitter at codingblocks or head to www.codingblocks.net and find all our social links there at the top of the page. And with that, I'm Alan Underwood. I'm Jay-Z. And I'm Michael Outlaw. This episode is sponsored by Discover.bot, the only community for bot creators, and Datadog, the monitoring platform for cloud-scale infrastructure and applications, and Clubhouse, the developer-friendly project management platform. And tonight we're continuing on with the Pragmatic Programmer, and this time we're talking about two stories, tracer bullets and prototyping. But first, we got a little bit of news here, so I'm going to read uh, some thank yous here from iTunes. We got Sods, The Crow 2269, Aphex Wolf, and Ashley J. Walker. All right. And from Stitcher, we have I practiced this, dang it. Tachonathan? Tachonathan? Okay. I don't know. Uh, I practice this one too a lot. Hold on, bear bear with me. I want Outlaw to read my name. <laughs> Got it. I think. And Skywalker is null. I love that name. <laughs> that one's good. That's really good. Appreciate that. But how can and Skywalker hey, uh, be null if there's the rise of the of Skywalker? Hold on now. Hey, we'll I don't know. You out. see the last one? Oh, is that where you're going with this? All right. Yeah. Fine. Spoiler alert. Dang it. Uh, it's not very good. <laughs> but you know what is good? Uh, program, pragmatic parmesan. Uh, <laughs> Just when I thought I might go an episode without pronouncing it weird, uh, he sorry, reminds me why I should. Uh, yeah, my dinner was not satisfying. Uh, but we're going to be doing another uh, book giveaway, so make sure to leave a comment on the episode. And, uh, we got a particularly great comment last time. I think this was uh, talking about the rap last episode, so I'm going to delete this. If you missed the rap, you should go back and listen because I did my Jay-Z impersonation. And, uh, I mean, everybody loved it. Got so <laughs> many positive comments. It's just – it's been amazing. Thank you. Including record executives have been reaching yeah. out to him. That's right, so Jay-Z. big thank you to the fans, you know, my mama, everyone that helped me out. <laughs> uh, are you, are you going to thank us, the little people? For getting yeah, B- you. Buance or whatever. Uh, <laughs> Can we be part of your entourage, part of your posse now? Did you say Buance? Yep. Is that, <laughs> Isn't that our name? Oh, man. That's awesome. And also, just a reminder, coming up at the end of June, June 24th, at the Atlanta Intelligent Devices Meetup, I will be speaking on Kafka again. So if you'd like to learn more about it, want to come out and just hang out and say hi, please do come out there. I believe it's at the Microsoft campus. So, yep, June 24th. And by the way, no hate mail, please. I know who Beyonce is. She's amazing. Uh, but I, I don't mean no, I no rappers, but everybody knows Beyonce. <laughs> <laughs> oh, eight except for joe yeah except for joe kick him yeah. in his shins it's come fine. on he he googled that real quick we all know that that's right <laughs> pronunciation guide beyonce all right so yeah let's go ahead and get into it so the first the first topic up here in in this section of the book is tracer bullets which anybody ever seen or know what a tracer bullet is i remember being a kid and watching like gulf storm Remember that? 
Uh-huh. That was the first time I ever saw it, and it was like, used the how did they like all the cool footage with the night stuff? I mean, terrible stuff happening, but it looks really cool. Am I the only one that thought of like Call of Duty? Are there tracer bullets? In no Call one, of- no one else thought of like any kind of games. Nah. Okay. I don't remember seeing a tracer bullet. In- I'm gonna go stand in the corner now. No, but like what what Joe was talking about is like you'd see you'd see some firefights and you'd see this one that looked like a firecracker going out in the middle of it and then you'd see exactly where the bullets were flying, right? I I remember seeing video like that all the time. So, well even if there weren't like exact tracer bullets in the Call of Duty franchise, there were like lasers that acted like, you know, a tracer. Yeah. Right? Maybe. I, I guess know. so. Because then remember. you could see exactly where your opponent was. Yeah, but that's different. Oh, oh, right. Yeah, yeah the right. tracer bullets when it's, when you see where it's going. So yeah, if you've never seen that, maybe you should. You we should find a good YouTube thing and put it up here on the link. But yeah, a tracer bullet. It's a little is, dark, but it looks cool. Yeah, it's just when you can see where your bullet's going. It's it's a round that they mix in with their regular rounds, so that while you're firing, you can adjust while you're shooting, right? And it's a whole lot better than like. Have you ever seen the sniper movies oh, or anything yeah. where they're like, uh, you know, five degrees over here, two degrees north? Well, I was just thinking of that the movie uh, American Sniper where he made like the longest sniper shot, shot ever. you know it was something insane like a mile long shot or something crazy but yeah and you sit they you sit there you watch them and you know they have to sit there and calculate like what's their wind trajectory like how far is it and the curvature of the earth you know, like th- at that point the gun and the scope are at completely different angles <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah. to accommodate for the you know how much higher the the gun has to to fire in order for it to to arch yeah for it to arc over to whatever the, the you know, far away distance it, you know, target is. And that's actually what they talk about here is, you know, there's the one approach, like what you're talking about, where you sit there and calculate exactly how it's all going to happen. And that can be a lot of work, right? Or there's the, hey, shoot, see where it went, shoot again, adjust, see where it went, shoot again. And, you know, sometimes in the heat of battle, it makes more sense to be able to adjust on the fly instead of sit down and do another hundred calculations. I mean, sometimes you don't have that. Sometimes you have to do all the calculations up front, and sometimes you can just Leroy Jenkins it and just run right in, (laughs) guns a-blazing. Shoot first and adapt. That's amazing. So yeah, they said the joke they've got there is that there's two effective ways to fire a machine gun in the dark. And the keyword there is effective, right? You either have to know like everything, basically perfect knowledge of the exact situation that you're in, and you have to execute perfectly, or else you need to have some sort of tracer bullet so you can kind of shoot, see how it went, and then adapt. And this fits really well in terms of software development too, because it, we we've all at least lived in the world of of waterfall development specs to where somebody plans out something for three months and then you have a two-year project that by the time you finished writing the project is no longer legit and everything about the business has changed in that time so there's that that method and then there's the newer method actually since i think joe was even saying that's emerged since this book came out right what they talk about here is the you know, the iterative approach to where you, you just keep going. That's, that's the tracer bullet. Yeah. Make some stuff, see what people think about it and adjust, right? Three years before the agile manifesto. Oh, it was three years. So it was actually pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah. So the point is, is like, get your code out there sooner rather than later. And just like the tracer bullet, you can get immediate feedback, right? So you can start, you can start iterating on those features or on your aim, Right. Uh, as you're, as you're going along throughout it, rather than like, Hey, here's an all or nothing, right? right? 
Do you like all of it or do you like none of it? Oh, the delivery date's tomorrow. Cool. Here, check out what we have. Oh, man, that doesn't do what we want. Uh, we just spent a year on it. <laughs> you know? Yep. Well, another point that they make towards this, though, is that, you know, if you go back to those waterfall approaches, right? Like, you think about that. Like, it, things are going to change by the time you're ready to deliver, right? So, it's it, if you do try to do that all or nothing waterfall approach, right, then you're setting yourself up for, for failure because something's going to change along the way and it's just going to like delay you that much longer. Yeah. Software's oh, yeah. hard. Go ahead. You know, I just thought of, um, so, you know, continuous delivery, it's common for companies like say Google or Amazon or whoever to deploy a bunch of times in one day, right? Which was unheard of in 1998. And now it's common for, you know, even more than 10 times a day, you know, like I'm sure there's company out there to deploy a hundred times a day. Is that even possible in a waterfall methodology? How do you plan to that granular level? Yeah, I, I don't know that you could. Yeah, I don't know that you would, right? I mean, because that's the thing is you're you're just going against a set of checklists, and and you don't really care how it all looks right now. It's the end product that you're going after. Whereas this whole approach of the tracer bullets is let people see it every step of the way, right? And I guess with waterfall, like. You kind of like at least when I worked on it before, like you kind of work on one big thing and then it have to be done, and then you work on the whole big neck big thing, but like the whole thing didn't work together until basically the end. Right, big milestones for each section of the project. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. Wow. All right, and Joe loves doing the tips. So. Oh yeah. Hey, tip fifteen: use tracer bullets to find the target. I like that yep. a lot, actually. You know, you shoot – the whole analogy that they put out there is you shoot, you write some code, get it in front of the customer, the end user, and they can say, oh, I like that or no, that's not going to work at all. You know, you got this completely wrong. All right, cool. Well, we totally missed there. Let's go ahead and realign with what you just told us, and now you can you have another short feedback loop. Yep. So five minutes in, and we already got our first tip. Doing pretty good. <laughs> that's not terrible. And did we figure out there's only like 18 tips in the whole book? No, there's more. Did I make that up? Tips. I I don't have any clue. You guys have read it before. I hadn't. No, there's uh there's 70. Oh wow. Okay. All right. <laughs> off by a factor of a few. Just, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you were just. It was a rounding error. You were only <laughs> well, off by a rounding a error. Series. It's one of those floating point things we <laughs> talked about yeah. previously. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, one important distinction of tracer code is what that they kind of refer to it tracer code is that it's not a throwaway. It's not like you're constantly ditching this stuff. It contains all the validation, documentation, tests, and et cetera that production code has. It's just designed to be feedback driven. So you're able to roll this thing out to something like production or to the stakeholders and get that feedback on and then adjust. But it's not really an intermediary stair- step. It's, it's kind of done in a way, you know, it's the bullets out there that, the the goal has been the target has been shot at and it's it's just what you said before is it's very similar to what this whole agile movement was right put something together figure out every sprint whether that's every 2 weeks every 3 weeks whatever what's important and go after that goal right like constantly reevaluate what you want to do next and what needs to be done next so that you're not just in the state of, Oh, I'm, I'm looking, you know, a year down the road, you're constantly trying to get out there in front of what the customer needs or wants and what's the most important. Yeah. And the idea is that you're never going to be finished with your project, right? You're always going to be improving it incrementally, you know, getting that feedback, 
make the next feature, you know, or the next improvement or whatever. Right. But that's also kind of a sad way to think about like your code is never finished. It, it does kind of hurt to hear something There's like that. There's never an end in sight. Because when you work on projects like that, it can become very tedious over time. But, but it is, it is an honest way to think about it though. Like any, any project that you're working on, right? Like there's always going to be features that are, you know, someone's always going to ask for a new feature or to make a change. It, you're never going to be done with it. And the only times that I can think of where you are going to be done, where you're going to walk away from it is if you are in a services organization to where, you know, company a hires your company, you walk in the door, write whatever it is that they want. And then you walk away and you never see them again. Yep. As an employee of a company, that's almost never the case. Right. Yeah. Yeah. If you're, if you're in a consulting capacity, that's definitely, and, and for anybody out there that's never done consulting, that's actually a lot of fun. It can be frustrating, but it can be a lot of fun because you get exposed to a lot, but on the flip side, you never really get to see how everything comes to fruition over time. So that like, there's an upside and a downside. Yeah. But you, you know, you can also guarantee that you're always working on something new. And usually you know, the latest problem. and greatest. Yeah. Latest and greatest greenfield. Now, now I want to go back to consulting. Okay, that's it. <laughs> hey, can we wrap up early? <laughs> We're done. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, this book was uh, published 12 years before the the notion, at least where I, where I think the notion of the MVP was first kind of talked about, at least in tech circles. Uh, the book Continuous, and, uh, wait, no, that's not the title. I forget the name of the book. Now, the Lean Startup came out in 2011. That was the first time I had heard that. I don't know if someone else had, had coined that earlier. But still, it's way ahead of its time in, in terms of this like thing. When, I, when they were talking about tracer bullets, that was like they didn't have the word agile. That was their, their best way of kind of describing what they were thinking. And they hit the nail on the head. I mean, they, the, the, what they're describing here ended up being like a huge game changer over the next uh, 20 years. That's been awesome. Now, like, uh, I think stakeholders that I work with get really squirrely if they're not seeing results in a couple of weeks. Yeah. That's not how days. it used to be at all. Yeah. No, it's so true. <laughs> it really is true. And, and they even called out the alternative to this whole, you know, tracer bullet slash agile approach is, is what we said with the waterfall thing where everybody sort of works on separate modules in vacuums, right? And then at the very end, they want to bring it all together and show that it works. Now, this is where we've had previous talks, and this is I, I wanted to bring this up because this is sort of counter to some of the other things that we've talked about in the past because it's almost like what they're going for here. And they even gave examples in the books, and we obviously don't go over every single example they talk about is, you know. Until tonight. Until tonight. Is when you have a multi-tier application, right? You're going to have a front end, a middle tier, and a back end. You know, they're typically talking about this whole, this tracer bullet approach is you're working on all three at the same time, right? Because you're iterating on this thing and you're coming up with something to go show your end user. And so it, it very much favors a full stack type approach to this thing, right? And this is almost counter to like what we've talked about with things like clean architecture, where it's like divide your things up into modular components, right? Like they're almost saying here, you shouldn't necessarily do that. Now, I know that they're talking more about in a vacuum, like people just going off and working on solo and, and they never really put their head up for air or to talk to anybody. But it does feel more like you, you're talking about a, a a tightly coupled type thing, right? Because you're trying to make this work. And it's kind of hard to do that if you're constantly iterating on things and you got to have some database things in sync with some middle tier with the UI. But even in the case of the clean architecture, though, uh, as it related to teams, 
they did talk about like having like agreeing on a contract among between the teams and then you could just mock that contract for your side so that you could do the development on your half on your side of the line right and it worked fine that's true too yeah so if that if that if that line is between like okay if we broke up the teams by uh tech tech stack which is what this these authors preferred back at the time of the writing right then that line might be among you know your your database developers versus the c sharp developers for example and so in that case the data developers might be like okay we're going to have an orders table and these are the you know eight columns that are going to be in it all right and you would say eight why so many and then someone else is going to say eight why so few but it's got the eight columns <laughs> But then that way you could like mock it out against that, right? That's true. That's true. But it, it would it would definitely imply that you're gonna ha- you're gonna be communicating a lot more with all all your layers, right? Because if you're trying to if you're trying to do these tracer bullet approaches, everything has to be in harmony as you're showing these things, right? Like it requires it, a lot more communication, a lot more communication and coordination amongst those tiers. Um, this is where like full stack people are super good at, at getting this stuff together because they touch all three, right? right. Like, Hey, oh, I need, I need this. Okay. Well, let me go modify the database, modify the, the middle tier and then modify the UI. But that also can lend to messier code over time too. So, I mean, we, we've talked about this too. Like the, the more people, the more lines of, the more people that get involved, right? The more exponential those communication lines become. Right? And that doesn't scale well. Yeah. Like it, it becomes, it becomes increasingly difficult. So if you're working in this vacuum world, waterfall world, you know, if for some reason you're still in the nineties, you know, using nineties workflows, right. I, I don't know. There might be shops out there. There, I'm sure there are. So, so yeah, you, you have to keep all of those teams in sync, communicating, uh, you know, with what those needs are. And, you know, if that's a large team or a large company, Man, I right. I don't even want to think about what that what that looks like. Those team meetings have to be ridiculous. <laughs> and I worked somewhere that uh, did the waterfall approach and had teams by uh, kind of parts of the tech stack. And what would happen with these long iterative kind of cycles, like the, like a two year product release cycle, is uh, the the work was never distributed evenly for a release. So there were teams like every you know that would spend two years under the gun, and there are other teams that kind of would get done, you know, a little bit early. And so they kind of like, you know, you know, like what happens when there are free hands when there's still work to be done is you basically get thrown, you know, somewhere random. So the people on the teams that kind of had their part already finished and buttoned down, all of a sudden they're free agents and they're getting stuck with like the worst bugs, the crappiest stuff thrown in teams they know nothing about. And of course they think, you know, everything's crap that everything's working on because they're not used to it. And it probably is crap too. But it's just a, a bad place to be in no matter what. And ultimately, they get to kind of say, like, well, this bug's here because these guys are idiots. And, and then it just makes the people who have been under the gun even more angry and upset. And it's, it's, a bad, it's a bad situation. It can last for a long time, too. Imagine being on a small team. Like, you're part of the project's done three months in. And then now you got all these jokers on these other teams that are delaying your release. You know, like, why can't they get their stuff done? So it's a bad, bad yeah, situation. It's not easy. This episode is sponsored by Discover.bot. Discover.bot is an online community for bot creators designed to serve as a platform agnostic digital space for bot developers and enthusiasts of all skill levels to learn from one another, share their stories, and move the conversation forward together. 
Built by Amazon, Registry Services, Inc. discovered DotBot as an informational place for novices and experts in the bot development space. Discover.bot regularly publishes how-to guides and the latest bot building resources such as how to design a bot personality, how to set up payments through your bot, or how to stop shopping cart abandonment. Discover.bot also shares expert advice and provides insights on all things bot-like, what KPIs are worth measuring, why emojis may be breaking your bot, or how to write an engaging chatbot dialogue. For newcomers in the space, Discover.bot will teach you everything there is to know about these bots with articles such as the Beginner's Guide to Bots. Already have a bot of your own? Discover.bot can help you choose a framework that's aligned with your business goals and needs. Head to discover.bot slash coding blocks. That's discover.bot slash coding blocks to learn about how to get started on your next great bot. All right. So let's talk about the advantages of tracer code. So first and foremost, we've kind of already hit on this, but the one of the main advantages of tracer code is that your users get to see things working earlier. They get to see your, you know, the fruits of your labor sooner rather than later. And you get that feedback. And this is nice because you can get them disappointed early and then they can kind of forget about it, about it as you kind of move on with the project. And so there's not like this big pent up release of disappointment at the end of the project. Somehow I feel like he got the wrong takeaway from I that. Think, yeah. Oh, yeah. Wait, I, I misread the notes. Sorry. <laughs> I think he might have paraphrased that a little. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Yeah. The idea is that we're reducing the risk of disappointment because people get to see what, what they're getting. And so we're setting the expectations appropriately. And even if they are a little misaligned, uh, you know, from week to week or from, from the beginning, then they eventually kind of fall in line as the process continues because everyone's involved and the stakeholders involved. And so at the end of this process, no one can say like, this doesn't work like I said it should because, Hey, like, Hey, you were in all the same meetings I was. You saw this thing 8,000 times <laughs> before we published it. So you're, you're, uh, stuck with this too. Hey, so what's the right level of people to get involved? Have you ever worked on a project where you worked with maybe a manager and maybe they didn't understand the system as well as the people that were working under them, but the manager wanted to make the decisions versus the, you know, like how do you, how do you hit that right balance? Oh man, that's such a tough question. I hate big meetings and there's like 17 people and only two are talking at the same time. I really hate it when like the end users or the people doing the work aren't talking and it's like kind of the managers making decisions. I guess things could get lost in translation. So it's not necessarily a nefarious manager, but it's just really hard to kind of represent that. And so like if you're doing the work, like you may feel like your voice isn't being represented or your argument wasn't made the way you wanted to make it. And then you lost your way and then it's something that's frustrating. So I, I don't know what the answer is. I think uh, if you can just keep things small, make really small tools and never work with uh, anybody or only <laughs> one, two, three, four of the people, then that's the way to go. I, I definitely think the people closer to how things work is helpful, but I mean like a word of caution there too. A lot of times, even when you're working with the people that work with the existing tools, they're so conditioned by the way the existing tools work that they don't think about the end workflow, right? They think about the workflow that they're used to and no, you have to do this, 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 and this. And it's like, well, wait a second. If we, if we simplified this a little bit, we can make your life a lot easier, improve the system overall. But it's, you know, and that's where it's up to you as a professional developer to be able to assess the situation. You know, figure out what's really happening, you know, find out the details from the people involved, find out all the steps they have to do, but then also reel it back in and say, okay, 
what are we trying to accomplish here, right? Like we're trying to make a better product for the end user. What does that mean? Yeah, I mean, you can't take away their red swing line stapler from them. Expect <laughs> them to that's my stapler. Be able to focus. Yeah. I uh, this this bullet point right here. I swear, even when I read it in the book, I still don't even really understand what they're getting at here. Okay, thank you. Okay, you weren't there. Okay, thank I wasn't you. the only one. All right, because you know we've hit we've talked about this before about the highlights. This is the one where I was like, mm, I can't, I, I can't even get behind. I don't know what we're talking about here. So uh, it's I really got. I don't see anything worth highlighting in it. Yeah. Now everybody that's listening is like, all right, what what are you what are you going to tell us here? So Joe, maybe you're the only one who understands this. Are we talking about the piece of paper? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I totally agree with this. I am. Okay. So the book says the most daunting piece of paper. Wait, 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 the first bullet point there. Hold on. Hold on. I just got to point this out. I just got to point this out. Oh, no, no. We're not at yes, yes, no. We're at yes, no, no. Sorry. Never mind. Nothing to see here. Go ahead. Hashtag nailed it. So, so hold on. The title of this section is developers build a structure to work in. All right. Take it away, Joe. Okay. So they say the most daunting piece of paper is the one with nothing written on it. And I totally am a big believer in this. I'm a believer that the, that the constraints set you free. I know it's like if you've got like colored pencils and a blank piece of paper, chances are you're not going to do anything because it's like it's too free. You could do whatever you want. And so chances do nothing. But like you give me a pic- picture of like Nicolas Cage and some colored pencils and a blank piece of paper. I'm going to make something cool. You know, it's like, looks like Nicolas Cage. <laughs> But but hold on, hold on. My my okay, this is where I'm confused. I totally get what you're saying with a blank piece of paper can be daunting. You got some project needs to be done. Where do you start? Okay, that's all fine. Because but it's how? like because then you get into like analysis paralysis or totally. yeah. you know, you decision uh uh paralysis where you can't decide like what to do, right? Like the blank canvas is difficult. That's what we're saying. Yes. Okay. Yes, I totally get that. But how do tracer code or tracer bullets solve any of this? I don't, I don't understand the context of this with tracer code. The advantage of okay. tracer code is you have developers build a structure, but what? Yeah. So the way I kind of interpret it is it's like, if you sit me down and tell me like the, the, the plan for a business that's going to launch three years from now and you like describe Uber really basically say, Hey, we're going to kind of democratize and meritocratize, uh, driving people around and people need to be able to find drivers to take them places. And we need to launch this thing in three years. Go. Uh, like what language do I pick? What database do I pick? Uh, what, you know, I've got three years to decide this. I shouldn't just pick the tools that I'm comfortable with. I should really do some, uh, make some decisions here. I should look at other companies that are doing stuff. I should do all this analysis paralysis type stuff, right? Because I've got three years to work and I need to make the right decisions now so that I don't waste my time and waste that. But if I know, Hey, we're going to try and build a company that's going to take people around. You got one week until our next meeting and you get to show me what you got. Then that's going to change how I, how I behave. You know, it's going to get feedback sooner and I'm probably going to start with Node.js. <laughs> so, so you're saying that by taking the tracer bullet approach and just saying that you need to get something in front of somebody quick, then that's no longer trigger. a blank sheet of paper. You're just hey, going to give them a piece of paper. Just pull the trigger. Okay. I still don't get this section. <laughs> I mean, I get the whole point of having something together, but I don't understand how tracer code turns 
a white piece of paper into a piece of paper with stuff on it, right? Like you still got to make that, you still have to make that, that jump or don't jump decision, right? Like, Oh crap, we're going with go or we're it's going Nicholas Cage, man. <laughs> Apparently Nicholas Cage is the answer to all these problems. You need to spark just fire anywhere. <laughs> he did raise Arizona. That's right. We talked about Nicholas Cage. We've talked about him a few times. I don't know. Have we? Beyonce. Beyonce. You just need Beyonce. to be careful in this structure. If we go back to last episode and some of the things we said there, though, that the decisions that you're making there to make them reversible, mm-hmm. right? So that you don't – what you don't want to do is build yourself in a structure to where you're stuck in Node.js, yeah. right? If you later decide, oh, well, we want it to be in Go or whatever, you know, f- you know, language du jour you, you choose, right, that – because like one of the things that that was said last time, which almost seems like this kind of fly, like these two things are almost feel opposite is that uh, last episode we talked about that um, as you make these critical decisions, they, they aren't easily reversible. Right. Right. And so now we're saying like, okay, well uh, <clears throat> to solve the blank canvas problem, we're just going to go ahead and like create some small things, you know? So, Hey, how are we going to deliver this feature? Oh, we're going to do it as a web app. Okay, cool. So we know that we're not writing, you know, a a windows application or a, an iOS application. Okay, cool. So that narrows some of the scope down to languages that might be involved there or frameworks that might be involved there. Right. Like each one of those decisions, you know, it's now it's like it, that's where the challenge comes in is to keep it reversible. And that's not the easiest of tasks, but I guess the whole point here is, is, is if you get something started, then people can work within it, right? They, they start moving forward in that. And, and that totally makes sense, right? We've even talked about it in the past with if you create good code patterns, people don't want to break them because you don't want to be that dude with your signature or, or dudette with your signature on the code saying, you know, you broke protocol here and, and dirtied up the code. So I get it. It just feels like it was weird in this section. Yeah, and if someone gives you a machine gun in the dark, you just start shooting. <laughs> that's, just, that's what you do. You don't look for a piece of paper. Try to point it away from yourself and start shooting. <laughs> that's a good tip. That should be the tip of the week. All that's right. Better than most of mine. So, okay. So then moving on to one that we can get behind and support is that by doing this, you're creating an integration platform so that like every day you'll be integrating in uh, the features from various developers and teams so that, you know, your debugging and testing are happening faster and more accurately and more often. Yep. And they even say, as opposed to developers working in silos and then hoping everything works together, we've all worked in environments where everybody's working on stuff. And then at the end of the week, you had your build. And then it was like, oh, God, it's Friday, right? Here goes my entire day. Oh, and if we're lucky, it won't bleed into Saturday, right? So <clears throat> anybody that that has that does development and they're doing it the old school ways without these, these continuous integration things, man, there's so many good tools out there nowadays that really didn't exist probably even that well, you know, five, six, seven, eight years ago. Man, you you need to take a break and go look because it can really ease your life. Yeah, I'm really curious to see what the uh, the modern update of the book is has to say about all this stuff. Now we've got things like velocity charts and Scrum, and like there's a whole industry that's sprung up around Agile. So uh, I'll be curious to see what they have to say about that. And I'll, I'm curious to see what things in the book they talk about now are going to be things that we're talking about 20 years from now as being important. Yeah, totally. And- they really did foresee some future here, though, didn't they? 
They, man, they really I mean, did hit some stuff. Talk on about like sightseeing, right? Like, you know, future sightseeing, like they, they nailed it. Yeah. And they may not have used the same words, but I guess, you know, it's kind of hard to sell a bunch of courses around tracer bullet method- methodology versus agile, right? You want to yeah. be a scrum master or you want to be a shooting master? Right? Like, yeah, one's know. kind of a downer. It's a bummy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, but yeah, you, they also talk about the continuous integration and delivery, which is again, just something. If you can push that button, you know, a hundred times a day, you have a hundred commits come in and it automatically kicks off a hundred builds, you know, you're good. Like that's, that's beautiful. Yeah. I do wonder though. I mean, kind of to the point that you guys are, were saying something similar to what you were saying though. Like, I think a lot of this has just been like an evolution as to like, uh, not just the, the, methodology that we as developers do, but also just the speed of the equipment around us that we're using, you know, because it's gotten so ridiculously fast now that we can't afford to spend CPU cycles doing some of these things. We're like, you know what? I don't care if that machine builds a thousand times a day. What else is it going to do? Versus, you know, there was a time where, okay, you want to do one build or you better really mean it. Cause that's going to be an all day affair, yeah, right? right? Like, you know, and it, it's sad to think like that, but you know, I mean, that's, that's not an untrue statement. Well, I mean, you used to have to schedule time with the computers and then take your punch cards to the library, right? Good Lord. That's insane. But I mean, like the tools have seriously gotten so good that like it, we've said it before. If, if you're new to programming or even if you're experienced in programming, it's worth going out and getting involved in like some Git projects or something because the tools are built in and they're free. Like you can go up there and do builds. You can have continuous builds and, or continuous um, integration type stuff in GitHub. You have the same thing on Azure DevOps now to where you can go up there. You can set up these pipelines, these builds. It's free and that's crazy. So, you know, if you've never done it, if you've never looked at it, you should totally, totally go look at it like this weekend and, and just get an idea for what all this stuff means, right? Like having your like Travis CI kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So like, uh, you know, there was Jenkins, there's team city, there was Travis CI, all that kind of stuff, but now it's built in, right? Yeah. Like you, you get that stuff for free. Yeah, you could spin up a site in like five minutes on Netlify Gatsby starter five minutes. And then you just iterate from there. It's pretty amazing. Uh, it's insane what you can do nowadays. Well, yeah, the, I mean, not to take away from Netlify though, but I mean, the point that Alan was, I think, making though, is that just like alongside the source control itself, you know, like if you have a GitLab, you can have build pipelines right there in your GitLab. So as soon as the code is checked in, it can run tests and do builds and, and sanity checks. It can check for, you know, like you might be, uh, like maybe you want your, your code formatted consistently, right? So it can do those kind of format checks. Yeah. And even, even something like Azure DevOps. It's not just their source control. You can tell it, Hey, I want you to hook into a GitHub repo. I want you to hook into, you know, uh, GitLabs or whatever. They have, you get hooks into all these things. So you could actually get their build pipelines using external source control for free, which is again, like all this stuff that we're talking about here actually matters a lot because if you have been a part of a team that did a build once a week or once every two weeks, then you understand and you know the pains. Whereas if every time you have a pull request that gets approved into master or a particular branch, it builds, you get notified immediately. Hey, this thing blew up. Go fix it. You know? 
And it can take away that old works on my machine oh my God. argument. Yeah. Yeah, the tools have gotten better, but people just keep wanting more and more out of us. They really do. <laughs> yeah, we shouldn't have should have kept a little quiet. Should have sandbagged a little bit. Oh man. Oh, that built yeah. all day. It keeps you more in touch with the progress, which is really good. And it leads to setting those appropriate expectations and lets you know when you're about to drive off a cliff, which is really nice. Yep. Uh, uh one one big point they made too is uh tracer bullets don't always hit the target, and that's okay. It's designed to show you what you're hitting, and it's okay if you miss as long as you can adjust. So we talked about reversible decisions and things like that in the, in the last show, and uh, it's just more kind of tying into that. So if you can't adjust, then the tracer bullets don't, don't do you any good. Right. But, <laughs> you see him shooting yeah. over the target, and you just keep shooting over. <laughs> yeah, like, what am I going to do? We got Oops. a deadline in two weeks, and that happens all the time, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> It's like we're agile, but we got a deadline in two weeks, and we know it's wrong. But hey, you know, that's, this is the path we're committed on. Oh, that's hilarious! <laughs> yeah, I just kind of like I just picture small. like you're holding the gun in your hand, and it's like it it the rate of fire and and the force at which it's firing, like you can't control it. So like you keep squeezing the yeah. trigger, but you know it's just. <laughs> 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 That's, that's exactly what it sounds like. That's what happens when you don't pause while you're shooting. Uh, right? Yeah. Uh, that's, yeah. Like, that's how I like, picture left, every left. picture every comedic scene where the the frail person is holding the machine gun, right? That's what it's like. Yes. Yeah, the kid with a fire hose. <laughs> that that's real development too. Yeah. Um and so I did yeah. like this one comment that they had in there and and I quoted this one cuz it's it's true. A small body of code has low inertia. Do you highlight that one too? Why do you why do you always get the same things as me, man? Man, that one was so good because it's so true. If you don't have a massive, huge pile of code, then it's a whole lot easier to change, right? Like it's a whole lot easier to make these changes that you need. And that's why keeping assemblies smaller and focused is super helpful. Or even methods, man. Let's go back. To, oh, let's go yeah. back to Uncle Bob, right? And you just have a three-line method. Yep. What's easier? What's easier to read and understand? A three-line method or a three-thousand-line method? Yep. Now, which one of those is going to be easier to change or to refactor when a new feature or a bug comes in? Right. What about ten thousand three-line? <laughs> okay. Well, you got me. Well, that, that one. That's, I picked that one. So that is actually, I was going to say. That is something that is arguably sort of frustrating, right? Like, so yeah, you have your three line method, but then you F12 into one of the methods there, and then that goes into another one. You F12 from there. Like, there's no doubt that you end up hopping around a bunch of methods, but at least they're small and isolated, right? Yeah. Yeah. Isolation is really important. So if you make a change here, you know, it's not breaking things other places. Right. And it's testable. And it's testable. Yes. So this small body of code, this small tracer bullet, is testable. Yep. You ever work somewhere where like you're working on the project and a question comes up of like, Hey, what happens if the user tries to do this? And someone says like, well, what does the spec say? Or like, what did, what did the plan say? And they kind of like go dig out the email that like explains how things are supposed to work. And like, they use that as if, as if it's like the, you know, the plan that will rule the universe, like the one authoritative source. And then, you know, ultimately, you know, there's mistakes and stuff in there, but for some reason, like somebody on the team or the team is just kind of orchestrated to like, you know, kind of believe in that binder. Like I, I've worked at places where people would have like a binder that would show up in every meeting and everyone see the binder and the whole meeting, like everyone, you know, the developers are just like staring at that binder. Like, oh, I wish you'd just lose that thing or, <laughs> or he, I mean, not talking about anyone in particular. A binder, man. What are you talking about? I've, 
I've been in places where like you had a person who that was their role. Oh, was to, tell, books. to be able to tell you like they, they, I mean, they knew like, Hey, what's supposed to happen when you click on this? Oh, I can tell you. You're, when you click on that, you go over to this and they would be able to show you. Yeah. Like, here's the diagram of what that's supposed to look like. That, here's what that interaction looks like. That's no fun. <clears throat> yeah. Move fast, break things. Well, nowadays. So, yeah, the next thing they said, too, is the business will feel more comfortable with the change, too, when they see how easily things can change. And that is that is super true. If Yeah, sometimes they don't get it, though. Yeah. Uh, maybe they don't get it, but that it's like they'll say, hey, can you change that checkbox? You're like, yeah, two seconds. And the next time they see a checkbox, they're like, hey, can you, change, can you add a checkbox? You're like, well, that's a whole other can of beans. Right. right. Yeah. I don't get it, but last time you changed it. Yeah, that checkbox. Yeah, last is, time it was a radio button, and you asked for a checkbox. Like that's, that's yeah, that yeah. checkbox is not that checkbox. Right? Yeah, uh, like this checkbox touches every single line of code in our code base. Yeah. Uh, so tracer code versus prototyping. I, I actually like this because I was kind of curious what they were going to say about it. So prototypes are designed to explore a single aspect of something. And they're designed to be throwaway. And that's really the key. More or less than anything else here, prototypes are, are trash from the beginning. They're there to, to explore something quickly and then toss it away. Yeah, and we're going to be talking about prototypes uh, more in depth here. But, yeah, it was just kind of the, the big distinction there. Tracer code is meant to adjust and prototype is meant to throw away. Well, also, too, did you say that the tracer code is lean but it's complete? We did not say that. But right. That is, so, yes. I mean, that, that's another testing point. and like all the that. prototype might just be like, Hey, what do you think if it looked like this? Right. Uh, but it doesn't really do anything. There's nothing functional about it. Right. Where the tracer code, it might not have all of the bits there, but everything works that is there and is being done in an appropriate way. So I, I kind of, I kind of envision that as like some of the tools that designers could use to mock UIs. Right. So they could easily prototype out a design to where like everything in the drop down box is hard coded, right? Like if you click on something, you're absolutely going to go to the next page no matter what. You know, like that's the smoke and mirrors presentation, right? Yes. That, that's the prototype. It it it's just to get the idea across, like, hey, do you like this the way I'm visualizing this? Like that kind of idea. If right? not, throw it away and do another one. But there's yeah, exactly. There's no real code behind it. You know, it's it's not it's not production use. Yep. So it's that time of the show where we do like to ask you if you haven't already, please do leave us a review. Head up to codingblocks.net slash review. And you know, we thank everybody at the beginning of the show for taking the time to do it and we read them all and seriously super appreciate it. We love seeing that we're helping people out, helping people achieve goals, right? Like you just got something uh today or yesterday, Joe, where you know somebody's starting an Uber job, you know, and and they said a lot of it was because of what they were going to their first day at the Uber job in an Uber. I loved that part. Yeah. They were taking an Uber to go to Uber. Like, yeah. Well, that's like inception there. And, and it was, it was seriously awesome to hear that, that we've helped, helped that person along their way. Right. And, and we're not going to say their name because, you know, maybe they didn't want to share that or whatever, but it is really incredible for us to be able to help people out. And, and so, you know, please do. If, if you would like to give back to us, you know, go leave us a line, say hi, thank you and whatever. And we super appreciate it. And, and as Outlaw always says, you know, if you haven't, share it with a friend. You'd be surprised how many people don't even know what a podcast is, right? So, 
you know, maybe you grab their uh, Android or, or iPhone from them and, and say, hey, let me show you how to get this done. Right. So, so, yeah. All right. Well, with that, we head into my favorite portion of the show. Survey says. All right. So a few episodes back, we asked, did you improve on the things you wanted to for 2018? Which is very topical of us to discuss now that it's mid 2019. <laughs> so you Seems see like a good how, idea at the time. <laughs> you see how on top of it we are. We do not procrastinate around here. That's right. All right. So your choices were, <clears throat> I did as well as improving on additional things. Or I was able to focus on my 2018 goals and improve on them. Or I crushed some and failed at others. Or, no, dang it. <laughs> or, lastly, wait, I was supposed to set some goals? All right, I think Alan went first. So, Joe, you go first. Which one do you think was the <sighs> top choice and by what percentage? I'm going to say, no, dang it, at 34%. Mm. No, dang it, 34%. So I also think that's probably going to be the top answer, but I'm going to go more optimistic here. I'm going to say I crushed some and I failed at others. And just to be fair, I will also go 34%. Oh, I thought you were going to go the no dang it. No, 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 no. Okay. No, no. I want to be, I want to be positive. All right. Yeah. But, oh, oh, I see what you're saying. You were saying like, you really think that no dang it is going to win, but you, you wanted to pick something that was more optimistic than that. Okay. Okay. If you were to pick no dang it, what would it have been? Would you have stayed at the 34? No, I'd have gone uh, 40. (laughs) Really? Okay. So Joe says no dang it at 34%. Uh, Alan says I crushed some, failed at others at 34%. Yes. And Alan wins it. Woohoo! Nice. Good. I crushed some, failed at others. 51%. 51%. Nice. Oh, wow. That's really good. Congrats. Yeah. So congratulations to our listeners who are out there busting it. That is amazing. So what was the second one? No, dang it. No, like you guys, I, I was I was really hoping you were both going to go with the no, dang it, because that was like last, dead last. <laughs> wow. That's awesome. Good job. No, uh, the other one was, wait, I was supposed to set some goals? <laughs> yeah. So you either, you're either like in one of the two camps, either you were crushing it. Or you didn't know you were supposed to be crushing it. <laughs> uh, one of these years, I want to have like a whiteboard in my office and be like, "These are the these are my goals for the year," and I could change them. <laughs> but I just want to see them. Uh, like I, I don't mean to sound so pessimistic. Like there's definitely things that uh, that I did really well at last year that I was proud of that I had no plans of in January. I didn't even know were coming. You know, right? Uh, it's it's tough. But yeah, it's hard. I mean, you spoke at like twenty thousand different conferences or, or twenty one thousand meetups. Yeah, twenty one thousand yeah. meetups. Twenty one thousand and three. In three. Right about the three. Yes. So yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm sure that wasn't necessarily something that you had totally planned out. I don't think you had thought about talking about Jamstack a hundred times. So I mean nope. yeah, it's 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 crazy how the stuff sneaks up on you. But that is that that's exciting that our audience is like, you know, getting after it. Yeah. Yeah, that's really awesome. I want to know, like, don't forget to, if you leave a comment and let us know what you crushed or what you want to crush this Ooh. year. Oh, I might win a book. Yeah. yeah, that's a good one. That's a, yeah. So what is this? Um, codyblocks.net slash episode 108. Yeah. Tell us, tell us what your goals were that you crushed. Yeah. That's awesome. You can tell us about the ones that you didn't crush too, if you really wanted to, but <laughs> we're trying to keep things, you know, upbeat, lively. 
Yep, no bummies. This episode is sponsored by Datadog, a monitoring platform for cloud-scale infrastructure and applications. Datadog provides dashboarding, alerting, application performance monitoring, and log management in one tightly integrated platform so you can get end-to-end visibility quickly. Visualize key metrics, set alerts to identify anomalies, and collaborate with your team to troubleshoot and fix issues fast. Try it yourself today by starting a free 14-day trial and also receive a free Datadog t-shirt when you create your first dashboard. Head to www.datadog.com slash coding blocks to see how Datadog can provide real-time visibility into your application. Again, that was www.datadog.com slash coding blocks to sign up today. All right. And so for today's survey, we ask, do you discuss podcasts with your friends or coworkers? And your choices are, are you kidding? That's all we talk about. Or absolutely, they need all the help they can get. Or absolutely, I need all the help I can get. Or lastly, no, it's my secret superpower. They can't know where all my tips come from. I look forward to this one. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, On to the next section, uh, prototypes and post-it notes. Uh, We kind of alluded to it before, but prototypes are the the throwaway projects that are designed to test out an idea. And they kind of hint at there being a single idea. I don't think there's a specific rule about that, but I think it's kind of um, common, maybe, or at least uh, implied. Uh, And the kind of idea here is just to have a a proof of concept, if you've heard that term before. And uh, they have an example I really liked um, where they were talking about kind of cars. Like if you're a car manufacturer and you are you know thinking about coming out with a new line – then you might do some wind tunnel tests with like a, a mock car. Like you don't need to build a whole car with an engine and the power lock brakes or whatever. <laughs> I don't know much about cars. Uh, I mean, you might be just fine with like a small wood model, right? Or a small clay model or something that you can compare to other ones. It's going to be a lot cheaper and a lot faster to make. Yeah. And uh, so I thought that made a lot of sense. Yeah. And, and one of the cool things that they say here, and this is really the important part of it is it provides the ability to correct at a reduced price because you're correcting early in the process. Yeah. And you ever hear on the, the notion of like lean, uh, like the lean company, whatever that lean startup book I mentioned earlier, like they'll tell you that really hint hardly, <laughs> hint hardly. They'll like, uh, tell you basically go try and sell something before you even make it. So go like if you need to be doing stuff in the background and like manually typing, doing whatever, just make sure that your idea has wings before you invest any time in it. So I think this is another case where they uh, were really much, much ahead of the game. So I guess that's where you see like the people that, you know, the the risk takers out there that'll like go and sell, you know, the compute, the idea of the computer before they've even built the computer. And they're like, okay, we got an order for 20,000. We got to make this happen. Right. Yep. Yep. You remember those things uh, like in back magazines they used to talk about? Like you'd uh, flip to the back and be like, hey, send 25 cents and we'll send you a balloon with your name on it or, you know, something stupid. But, uh, a lot of times uh, I read later that those companies, they would basically refund the money if they didn't get enough. So it's kind of like like early day Kickstarter. So they might say like, hey, get the golden kazoo, whatever. If they got 100 orders, then they'll go ahead and place the order to, you know, China or manufacture or whatever, get that stuff and send it. And if they don't, you know, if only two people end up trying to order that thing in the magazine, then oh, well, sorry, here's your money back. And so nothing was really lost by doing that other than maybe, you know, 
some heart feelings about their golden kazoos or balloons, names on it or whatever. But uh, ultimately, the the business owner didn't have to put anything out front, and they were able to sell the idea as early as possible. And this is the same kind of idea here: you can prove that something is going to work, or you can prototype something and see that people are happy with it. Then you can potentially save a lot of time if they're not. I mean, it doesn't you, work. You you nailed it though with the one example that you like really glossed over super fast, which was that I didn't even think about while reading this, which was the Kickstarter mm-hmm. idea. Oh yeah, yeah, sell it first. <clears throat> Yep. Yeah, we still said, although there's been lots of times like I would see something and you know, websites do that thing where they're like, uh, here's a little teaser, enter your email address and I'll send you the free EPUB or whatever on it, the thing. Like, I hate those, but uh, <laughs> like, there's been plenty of times where I like, I put my email address in, like, oh yeah, it's super exciting. Like, I love this. And then it just never, like, you never hear from it again. Never say, uh, imposter handbook, uh, season two, whatever happened with that. They kind of said, like, hey, if enough people like show interest in it, we're going to do it. And like, it's been no good while. Is it not? I thought it launched. Did it not? I don't know. Let's go see. To the Googles. The imposters. And I really want it, so I hope so. Too. All right. Well, while you're looking for that, the prototype is going to act as a model, something that you can use to analyze and expose your risk and validate your ideas cheap. So let's go back to this clay model car idea, right? You didn't have to build a whole car to see what it's how it's going to function in a wind tunnel, right? And you could even build that clay model down. It's, it doesn't have to be at full-size scale. Right. So you could build a smaller scale version of it just to see like, okay, let me validate like how does the how does the wind gonna flow over this, right? And if you take those into water tanks, there's some cool things that they could do there too, you know, at smaller at smaller scales, right? Have you ever seen what I'm talking about? I have not. Where like you could put like different colors of water in it to see like how how it flows flows. over the over the vehicle. Yep. Right. So, you know, that's the idea here with the prototype. Yep. So uh, I googled Imposter Handbook Season Two, and it actually did come out. I don't know how I missed that. Like that, I thought I'd keep an eye on. I mean, we talked about it not that long ago, and so I don't know if I missed that email or what. I don't think I got the email either. But they were definitely yeah. supposed to send it out. I remember them sending out a bunch of emails before it launched. Yeah, but yeah, interesting. Um, That's really cool. Do you want to know what the chapters are like, or you save it for a future episode when we talk about it? Eh, mm. Yeah, let's save it for a future episode. All right, go check out the website. Yeah. Monsters Handbook Season 2. Check it out in Tom Coden Walks City. That's right. Um, so yeah, the, the next thing was, is the prototype acts as the model for something we can analyze and expose risk to validate the ideas for cheap, right? So the risk part was really the super interesting thing is, what do you prototype? You prototype things that are risky because those are the things that you want to figure out earlier, whether or not you want to continue forward with it or, or scrap it and go with something else. Now, this is a great case for Jamstack. <laughs> you got an idea. It's real lightweight. You throw something together. The Gatsby doesn't have to be your company colors. It doesn't have to be your theme. You can just grab like a, a starter that like looks all right. Throw some, uh, throw some forms together. I mean, that's, that's silly though. I mean, uh, if we're talking about truly a prototype, a lot of times you can just use a UI tool, like something like Balsamic or UXPen or something to, to do the work. Like why spit up a whole website for it? But I don't know. I think I'm more comfortable with like, Messing with stuff and like doing stuff with HTML than I am with uh, tools. But I guess if I spent more time with them, then probably be probably be better. What's yeah. this Jamstack you speak of? <laughs> well, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, there's uh, talk twenty thousand twenty one thousand and four and four. That's right. Yeah. So the the other thing they said, and I've actually seen this done, and it works rather well. Is use Post-it notes to depict a workflow. <laughs> 
right? You get a board and you put some post-it notes up there. Why you got to do some digital drawings? Just get some paper. Don't open a window on a breezy day. Yeah, yeah. It'll go away. (laughs) Uh, I've never done this with notes. I actually worked on a project where we used a – it was surprisingly effective to where we had swim lanes and there were – there were things that needed to be done and it was just nice to be able to see it on a board when you walk by it. Right. So you put the post-it notes in the different swim lanes to say, yeah, this has moved along this hasn't, whatever. I mean, it's fine to see that stuff in Jira and all that, but every time you walk by it and see it there, it's, it's sort of like a, a bit of a reminder, like, oh man, I really need to get this thing moved over. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, I've worked in environments where like, that was how we, you know, you got your ticket from that. It, it, it reminded me like watching uh, Silicon Valley. Yeah. Because they did the same thing, right? Rigby. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, now, now, now everybody's going to be like, wait, Rigby? What's Rigby? Yeah. <laughs> Richard is great, but. But. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, you, you would pull your ticket down off the board and that's what you would work on, right? And so it is, it is like in your face, like what you were saying, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's nice. And so then the other thing that they described here too was just using a whiteboard to draw out storyboards, right? This is, you know, you're on this screen, then you click something and this is what the next screen is going to look like, right? You can just sort of sketch it out. You wireframe it with real, with real whiteboards and markers and stuff instead of, you know, going to some, you know, PowerPoint or whatever. I, I love <laughs> the office environments where the walls are painted with the, uh, uh, the whiteboard, the stuff. whiteboard paint. Yeah. Yeah, and you can just draw on every part of the wall up until you find that one area that the yeah. wall that wasn't painted and now it's permanent. <laughs> Oops. Yeah, yeah have you ever worked there. with someone that, that drew too much? Oh, yeah. It's like they would stop by the office, stop by your cube or whatever, and they would like start talking and they would reach for the pen. Like, Let me show you. And you're like, no, no. Because like every every little box they're drawing, like whatever thing you're, you were thinking on before you got interrupted, so it steps like steps one step out of your head. And so I'd dine there and finish drawing the drawing. You're like, well, great. Now I got this loaded up and uh, it's going <laughs> to take me 20 minutes to get us? back to work. <laughs> That's <laughs> what I thought too, man. I thought he was going to talk about like it was like something inappropriate that was drawn or something. You know, like it wasn't like. You're like, no, hey, man, you got to erase that. Don't leave that on my board. Uh, no. uh, and you set like a little time limit. It's like someone starts trying to be like, hey, this is your this is 20 minutes now this week. You spent drawing already. You're, you're going to be out by Wednesday at this rate. <laughs> uh, you only get one hour per week. Uh, <laughs> no, it drives, it drives me nuts. Like, uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm just a, a bum whatever. But I hate I, – I don't like getting interrupted. I don't think anyone does. But when, like, there's something about getting interrupted and it being a long interruption that makes it so much worse. So it's like when it's like full of details and full of stuff, it's just, I feel it pushing everything else on my head out. And then you have to relearn what you were trying to do in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. It happens. Anyway. Cool. Don't, don't be that person. So you have some pro tips here. Yeah. Oh, this is what I like. Uh, the more prototypical that your pro- your project looks, basically the worse it looks, the less likely it is to get shoved to production. This is something I learned a long time ago with uh, working at a boutique website is if we would show the customers something that was closer to done, they expected it to be done like really fast. Even if it was just like Photoshop stuff and they, they saw the design, the pictures, they were like, okay, you know, they just, their expectations would get increased. And so they would expect stuff to look exactly like the Photoshop exactly done tomorrow. And it was also, you know, harder to change to like, Hey, can we move this thing over here and make it green? It's like, well, 
yeah, I guess like I cheated and it's not a layer and, you know, it's just took hard to work. So what we decided to do there was just do white screens for initial discovery. Like, so it's really easy. If you want to change something, you just move it over here and nobody's worried about what shade of green it's, it is. Cause we'd have meetings with clients. We haven't in the office for three hours and one hour was just talking about shades of green mm-hmm. and it's just not productive. That's something that could be done in email or whatever. Yeah. That's Wait. a good point. Do you now have a favorite shade of green? I mean, let's, <laughs> yeah, let's get to the hard hitting questions that matter. Hashtag three three nine 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 nine. Wait a minute, I got you want to go do it? Now, yeah, right? three three and then quad nine. Yeah, I think what he said. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's the coding block screen from our logo, from one of our logos. What? No, that's like some yeah. teal color. Yes, yeah, teal. I don't know. I, I grabbed it once with the eyedropper and I memorized it. Oh, okay. I think I know which part you're talking about. Yeah, I think it's like it's, the coding box person's pants. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's okay. hilarious. Yeah. Uh, so if you can't get, if you can't give like crazy details on the project and, and you can't get down to that level, then it's probably a prototype. Um, but maybe it's not a prototype. You mean. But, uh, oh, if you can't give up on the details, if you're trying to be too detailed, then yes, then it's probably not a prototype and, and you shouldn't spend that much time on a prototype. It might be that you need to use the tracer bullets, right? That That's, yeah, totally read that wrong. Yeah, and you got to recognize when things start going off the rails and start turning into production and, and it's just, you just got to recognize that. Uh, they had a nice list of things to prototype. So uh, anything that carries risk. So I like that, especially things that are going to take a long time. Uh, architecture. Now wait, I it was what's not going to carry risk? Well, big. the bigger the risk, the more likely you should you should be to prototype it. So maybe like if you're trying, if you're thinking about switching to a new JavaScript library, like that's a big decision. Maybe you should try prototyping one in this framework and one in that framework, just to kind of see like what's going to gel for your team better. But if it's like what font should we use on the website, something that's easy to change, like you need to prototype that. That's the one you definitely want to prototype. I mean, I'll give, I'll give a, a decent example is, you know, we worked on a project where it was, you know, taking, taking queries from a database versus something like a search index, right? What's the performance of it? And the thing is to really put stuff into like a search index from your relational database, there's all kinds of things you have to consider. But if you just want to test the performance, really what you need to do is just find a way to cram that data in there and set it up as close to apples to apples in terms of the data that's there and then run your performance test, right? Just so that you can show that, hey, the performance over here was this and the performance over here was this. Without going and building all the tooling and all the setup to sync the data over and do all that crap, right? It just get it in there. That's a good example of a prototype. Hey, is this thing even worth exploring? Is it going to give us the benefits that we think it will? Yeah, yes big difference no? between a one-time data dump and data syncing everything that needs to be synced forevermore and updating your application. Right. You know, and I asked the question though about like what what carries risk though, but that's really going to depend on you know like who who that who's answering who the audience is for that's hearing that question being asked. Right. Because like you brought up fonts, like, okay, nobody's going to care about a font. Right. And I wasn't thinking of like design type things when I brought that up. But if you were to bring that up to like a marketing person or design special, like huge, that's absolutely going to be something like they might consider that a risk Mm -hmm. because you know, 
depending yeah, on like, the, the font, the size, you know, like your brand, the, the, the weight of the font, right? Like, yeah. So, so, you know, and then that's where like, you know, they have, might have tools where they could like AB something to see like, well, how well did it perform? You know, that, that might be how, how their prototype works. But I was thinking more like, you know, the technical weeds of something. You know. Yeah. I was thinking, uh, it's easy to reverse cause it's, you know, something I can easily change. But if you're getting print materials made or potentially roll out the new font, everybody hates it and rebels and, you know, like the Olive Garden logo, remember that? <laughs> remember they changed the logo and like everybody hated it. What? Ah. I didn't know about this. Oh yeah. I don't know if they kept it or what. But yeah, there's a big thing. Like whenever a company changes its logos now, there's like 80,000 people that hate it. All right. Hold and on. Twitter is like raging for a day and they forget about it. Uh, Man, I'm not going to go read all this while yeah, while uh, we're doing this because it's going to yeah, be boring. Yeah, so originally the Olive Garden logo, it looks pretty crusty. Like It looks like it was, you know, it was just kind of ancient. And then they changed it, but people were like, oh, it looks like it was done with crayons. It looks terrible. I and now they've changed the it again, so it's kind of a hybrid. Yeah, I remember the original. I, I guess I don't remember either because I'm like, well, I can't tell which one of these is the new one and which one of these is the old one. All that really matters is that they still have their breadsticks and that they have their... Um, oh, wait a minute. Here we go. I found yeah. <laughs> I found a, I found a link that has them organized by year. So, yeah, from 82 to 99, they all looked about the same. But then the one they show, I guess... I'm assuming that they changed it in 2014. So maybe it was from 82 to 2013. They were pretty much the same. And then in yeah, 2013 is about no 2014 like is when they went, it went really different. Yeah. Drastically different. Yeah. And that's the one that people hate. Everything else looks like, I guess another way to say this is like the older ones all look handwritten. And this one definitely looks like a font that you would see on like the Oprah channel. Or something. And we need to have this in the show notes because I want to look at it. <laughs> yeah, because it definitely looks like it definitely looks like the like the O reminds me of like an Oprah kind of. Yes, thing. you must put that in the show notes. All right, because yeah, well, like the internet rebelled, and I think they changed it. That's hilarious. I didn't know about this. All right, so back to what is a prototype. So we also said architecture, or did we say architecture? We did, right? So you might want a prototype, like we were talking about a search engine. That might be one that that hey. Does this work? Does it not? A graph database. Like a lot of the newer technology type things, like, I mean, there were a lot of people that just left relational database world and went to document database worlds, right? Maybe that's something you want to prototype. You want to find out, is this going to do what we thought it was going to do? And does it answer my problems? Does it introduce more problems? That's kind of a good way to get to it. Um, new functionality. Uh, I don't know. Maybe you want to take on a new payment type or something, right? Like finding out how, how painful is this thing going to be? PayPal can be painful. So I think it's going to depend on like how big is that functionality though? Totally. Uh, you know, I mean, if it's bringing on a new payment processor, like a PayPal or something like that, I, you know, I don't even know then. I we know not all gardens called rolling out those things for that. The tablets on the table, you could pay and it's like blinking in your face. Oh bolted. yeah. Yeah, they probably should have prototyped that in one store before they rolled it out to all of them because I hate that. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of those, and I've always got to tell my kids to get their hands off of it because yeah. that's that's basically what happens. Oh, Everybody yeah. wants to reach over and start playing games, and I'm like, no, man, put that thing. The yeah. Ziosk? Yeah, paper yeah, games. Those things. Yeah. I always look at them, and I'm like, man, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> yeah, Ruth's Chris did it for a while, too. They, they, they got rid of them like a, even a couple months after we first saw them. Couple of restaurants. Like I know a lot about. I have a lot of feelings about Olive Garden. 
I think he goes to fancy eating more often than I do. I think so too. You said Ruth's Chris. I'm like, what? No. I like eating. <clears throat> that that I do as well. Um so structure or contents of external data. That's like mocking sort of, right? But that that can totally be a prototype. I think you even said faking data earlier. Yep. Uh, third party you? tools or components. Um yeah, for sure. But it, the things on the tables. Again, though, we're like prototyping things that carry risk or that haven't tried for like a structure or contents of external data. Like I would mock, I, I could see maybe, you know, well, that's but I guess that about. was a term that they didn't have that, right. did, you know, that wasn't used for this kind of thing back then. So maybe, maybe I'll give them a pass then. Yeah. Maybe their, the revision calls that something different. Possibly. Yeah. I think this is more just a, we don't want to spend a bunch of time trying to get something from Amazon's API. Let's just create some fake data so that we can get it in there. Right. That, that'd be my guess is what they're getting at. So yeah, very much mocking data. But the example you just gave is the mocking, uh, the prototyping of the third party tools and components. Though. So it's like, where, like, you well, see what I'm saying? Like, what does it mean? What does it mean to prototype the structure or contents of external data where you are not prototyping third party tools or components? Uh, well, I think they're two separate things, right? I mean, one is, you know what that external data looks like, right? Like, like if you were to go look up the API endpoint for Amazon, like, and I just went through this recently, so I know how painful it can sort of be, but you know what the data looks like because they have samples of data out there. So you can just mock up a bunch of that stuff and say, Hey, this is what it's going to look like when I get it. So I can code around it. Right. So that's easy enough to do. But that's different from saying, okay, now I want to try Amazon versus Walmart, right? So so now you've got two components you want to try out. You're not going to write any production-ready code, but you are going to try and get something in place just to see what they are. So I think there is a difference between, yeah, I want to use third-party components because I want to have the shopping experience on my site versus I know what the data looks like and what I'm going to use. I just want to mock that in place. So I think it's two separate use cases. They could go hand in hand a lot, I think, but you know, I think third party tools or components, I think about like point of sale devices or hand scanners or components is like Kendo UI or you know, some clock widget or something. Yeah, totally could be. React, um yeah, or, or bootstrap versus material, you know, anything like that. You know, you're not gonna try and do it out perfect, but you just want to see how it looks. So I don't know. Uh, let's see, uh, performance issues. This one was kind of interesting, right? So, I mean, this goes back to your search example that you just gave. Search was one. They had also said, if you're trying to do something language wise, like one of the things that they had mentioned in the book that I thought was pretty interesting is, you know, a lot of times you might use a more scripty language, something that's a little bit more high level. If you're trying to throw together a prototype, because, it's faster for you to just glue things together. Like JavaScript is one of those, right? Like I think one of the reasons it's so popular is it's so easy to just do stuff in. Um, but they said, if you're actually trying to prototype for performance, then you probably need to use the language that you're more looking at using for that purpose, right? Because how are you going to prototype performance if you're not using something closer to what the end goal is going to be? So I thought that was pretty interesting and, and it makes sense. And then and the last one was uh, user interface, user user experience. So that that's the, I think the, the kind of the most obvious case of prototyping to me. Yep. 
that's the easiest one to at least put in my mind because there's so many tools for it out there. Yep. And ooh, hey, we're at another tip. Tip 16, prototype to learn. And that's just kind of the whole gist of this. So basically, we're using prototypes to figure out the answer to one or more questions. And so that's the point. When do you prototype when you need to figure something out? Prototype to learn. This episode is sponsored by Clubhouse. Clubhouse is the first project management platform for software development that brings everyone together so that teams can focus on what matters, creating products their customers love. While designed to be developer first, the UI is simple and intuitive enough for all teams to enjoy using. Clubhouse is truly built for developers by developers. And you can tell because they've sprinkled Git tips throughout the UI, and they even made a point to highlight open source projects that integrate with them. In fact, today, I even noticed a Ghostbuster reference in one of the forums. <laughs> and they're constantly adding new features. For example, they just recently added search operator auto-completion. So no more memorizing the spelling or format of operators in Clubhouse. In as little as one keystroke, auto-populated operators make surfacing work by other users or performing date-related searches or more much faster and easier. With a simple API and robust set of integrations, Clubhouse also seamlessly integrates with the tools you already use every day like Slack or GitHub. For example, Getting out of your way so you can focus on delivering quality software on time. Sign up for two free months of Clubhouse by visiting clubhouse.io slash coding blocks. Again, that was clubhouse.io slash coding blocks, and you'll get two free months and see why companies like Elastic, Full Story, and LaunchDarkly love Clubhouse. All right, so another section I really liked was what can you ignore? So the first one they've got listed is correctness, which I appreciate. (laughs) (laughs) I recommend using dummy dummy data. And I even like having like really dummy data, like lorem ipsum type stuff, like make it really obvious that this is not correct. And I've noticed sometimes like if data looks a little too real, people will get confused and be like, hey, why is that a five? It should be a four because if you add, you're like, oh, it's fake. Just fake. I've sat in so many meetings like that where people start nitpicking numbers and it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. We said, we said at the top, right? (laughs) This is not real. Hey, but that's got to match this over here. Oh, yes. Right. Yes. It will. <laughs> uh, completeness too. Uh, I've worked at places that we would, um, we did, uh, we did a lot of prototyping back then. We would do things like, uh, leave the things that weren't done in the grayscale. Just so they were still there. They still had the shape. They also let people know that you can't click on that. So the users weren't thinking something was broken because it was obviously not meant to be working yet. And I mentioned faking or disabled components. Uh, there's robustness, like leaving out the validation. I love that. Yeah, I even put a note here on the on the side of this. So this reminds me of something that that we did uh, a while back. It's been a few years ago, where we had been working on a feature, and this was totally not a prototype. But it was it meant it was meant to be production code, but it wasn't ready, right? Like it, it, we had totally prototyped the beginning of it, and it was going into a demo because why wouldn't you demo the thing that's not done? And and it was said. Do not do this. <laughs> if you do this, it will break. And that's one of the things about prototypes is you, you totally set it up for go down the happy path, right? Like what we're trying to show you is what's going to happen when you go from A to Z this way. So if you click on something that's not in that A to Z path, it's totally going to break, right? And that's on you. We told you, we warned you. Yeah, I like that. Uh, yeah, like make sure to only check out with Visa four one 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 one. Exactly. Yeah, like oh, you didn't type enough ones, the whole thing crashed. You got to start over. 
uh, style. So slacking on um, documentation and comments. And what I thought was interesting when they said style, you can ignore style. They were talking specifically about coding style, not like you know UI style. I, I was surprised to, to hear that. I mean, when you're talking about like documentation, like yeah, of course I don't expect documentation for a prototype. The comments, you know, okay, fine. We're we're not too crazy about comments anyway. But like the coding style, like uh, uh-uh, no, that needs to still be formatted to me. Like it still needs to be good code. But I guess you don't have to worry about dependency injection and all that stuff. Yeah, so. patterns. I think it's it's really patterns and and good practices that you just kind of throw out the window, right? Yeah, just the word style threw me off. It's like style, like tabs versus spaces. No, <laughs> <laughs> you can never let that go. You let that demon in, and it's never going back out. Uh. <laughs> So they also mentioned that uh, the higher level tool you use, the better it saves you time. So if you can use something like a prototyping tool, that's great. But what's funny is the book mentions for their high level tools for prototyping tools like TCL or TK for UI, Visual Basic, Power Builder, or Delphi. Like those are not considered high level tools anymore. No, they are not. What is TCL TK though? I don't think I'd heard of that. Tickle TK. Isn't it the, like the Linux UI library? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I, that was the only one I hadn't heard of. It is ironic, though, that they called out, like, Delphi because, you know, I think all three of us were kind of like Delphi. And then, you know, we did that YouTube video with the guy who walked us through it. We were like, that's amazing what yeah. you just showed us. Yeah, Rad Studio was really cool. And yeah, Tickle is nothing like I thought it was. I don't know anything about Tickle TK. Hmm. Okay, cool. So none of us know. Awesome. Yeah. Before our time. But I was curious, though, what do you think about tools that we can use now? Like, if you had to do a prototype today, what would be the thing that you reach for? Well, you, you, you're stealing my tip of the week, Thunder. I don't, I don't no, know that I, I want to. I don't want to talk about this. Okay. Well, <laughs> well, crap. Okay. Well, we have recommendations, but we're not going to tell you. So move along. Well, we can t- <laughs> we can talk about the ones you have right there because I didn't do any of those. Okay. Uh, UX pen definitely that's yes, just a site where you can do some nice mock-ups and you can do like linking between things so you can kind of click and it'll take you to that and you can do that outside of HTML you just do it in their UI which is really nice they have a lot of cool widgets and stuff that are built in so you can kind of get things that look a lot like your site just with the built-in stuff and then you can add images and stuff too so it's just really nice uh, docker compose is one that I specifically wanted to mention is docker compose isn't always um I saw that <laughs> removing stuff from my notes. Uh, Docker Compose isn't always pro- appropriate for production because it, it kind of is only really designed to work for like what, one single server. And that's, you know, not always applicable in, in the real world, but it's great for developers because I can spin up like say an elastic stack, which will spin up like four or five services all run locally. And so it's something I can use to quickly prototype. And I don't have to worry about Java versions or running things or Kubernetes or how to scale or how to do rolling upgrades or how to maintain and, you know, upgrade my product, all that stuff. I can just do a quick, like, Docker close up and start working, prove the concept, and move on. Uh, Balsamic is the last one that I've got written here. Uh, it's just a wireframing tool that I used, like, eons ago. You know what? The Docker Compose one, uh, that's really good. I hadn't thought about it. But that is a perfect mm-hmm. prototyping one. Oh, you want Postgres running? Docker run Postgres, right? Like that's, you can't do anything much easier than that. Yeah. It's silly. But, it's like, if but I want to know the, if, uh, how well Bongo would work, like I just spin it up. I don't know. Right. But the real, but the real benefit though that he's talking about isn't necessarily like a single service. Right. It's, it's the whole stack. It's a whole stack of services. Right. And you're like, I don't care how many different things you're going to install this on later. Right. 
for I'm just right show now. you here like let's pretend that these all exist on different services or if you wanted them to exist on different services or you want to scale them out to you know 20 per I don't care right for right now here's what this looks I like. want this running yeah so I actually I'd say docker and docker compose both of those just amazing prototyping tools just killer stuff Um, prototyping architecture. I don't know that I've ever done this. We mentioned the post-it notes, so you can kind of move stuff around without having to change any code. Do you have any experience with prototyping architecture? Uh, kind of like what we talked about things like elastic things like, uh, you know, tried some Kafka stuff and all that. Like the hard thing is it's, I think the, the only reason I could even call it a prototype is because some of the code that you write against is complete trash, right? Like it's literally just to, set up the thing to see, hey, does this do what I thought it was going to do? And then you just yeah. completely trash all that. And you're like, hey, it did. Cool. Let's do it right. Or no, it totally didn't. <laughs> Either we're terrible with this tool or or we just don't know what we're doing. And they called out a couple of questions to, to keep in mind when you're doing this specifically for architecture, like asking yourself whether the responsibilities are well-defined and appropriate so that was cool. It's like, does this go in this service or does this go in that service? So I think that's good. Are the collaborations well-defined, how things talk to each other? Uh, I still have a hard time imagining that with post-it notes, but I guess you draw lines between them. Okay. I, I Let's finish through this, and I got something I think I can summarize this. Okay. Uh, is coupling minimized? I think that's pretty cool. You can see that pretty well. Uh, can you identify sources of duplication? I guess so. You could say like this, something's happening over here and it's got to happen over here too. That's a smell. Uh, last one is our, uh, no, two more. Are interface definitions and constraints acceptable? Yeah. <laughs> All right. And does every module have an access uh, path that it needs when it needs it? Like, yeah. I mean, those are, those are all good questions, I suppose. I don't know that post-it notes necessarily help me any more than anything else figuring those out. Okay. Here's, well, it could be post-board or whiteboard, but when I read this section, this is, this is how I thought of this was that let's say, for example, let's go back to our consulting, put your consulting hat back on and pretend you're, you work for a company where I don't know if you've ever worked in a company where this particular role existed, but you are a solution architect. Have you ever heard of that title? Mm -hmm. Okay. So you don't necessarily have to write any code. Okay. But the point is, is that the customer comes to you and they're like, Hey, uh, these are all the features that I want in my thing to do. Right. And then you go and scour like all the different vendors that might provide some of those pieces of functionality. And then you start pu puzzling them, you know, piecing those puzzles together uh, uh, or putting those pieces together to create like the final puzzle is like, okay, to solve all of your requirements, here's what I pieced together. Right. And I mean, you could, you could even think of this in a more scaled down version. Like, let's just talk about like, if you were building a, a new computer, well, what, how do you want to use that computer? Right. And then you can be like, okay, well, based off of how you're going to use that computer, uh, then let me research this, but I think this particular video card is going to serve your needs the best Then this, this motherboard based on what you said, right? You know what I'm saying? Like you, you didn't write any code, but you're just kind of like whiteboarding it out. Like, okay, this is going to go with that. That's going to plug in here. Right. I think solution makes, architect. I think that makes perfect sense. And uh, heck, even Joe, you and I did this recently with the uh, elastic and the Kafka things, right? Like, um, you know, with elastic search, you have, 
you have hot nodes, you have cold nodes, you have things like that, and they all have different requirements, right? So, you know, my thing that needs to have search readily available, those, those need to be running on SSDs that are attached to the hardware. So that's a big deal. Um, my, my archive data that's not getting access that much, that can be on spinning disk, right? Like that's cheaper storage. So that's, that's kind of a way where you could do it, right? Like here's my well defined things. These are what it needs. And this is what I need to put it together, right? So I can totally see how, how this could all sort of come into play when you're going through and, and post-it notes would happen, right? Like you could, you could do it in Excel or you could do it with post-it notes or whatever, but sometimes it is, believe it or not, easier and faster to write something on a piece of paper and stick it somewhere than it is to redesign it in, in a PowerPoint or a Visio or something. It is, but I know that, I know that we've all done this where we've created like, you know, a, a checklist in Excel where you have like multiple columns. You're like, okay, here's all the things. And does it do this? And does it do that one? Yep. Like, like here's five columns of, of things that I need to ha- have solved. And here's, you know, 10 possibilities. Which one of these tens gives me the best fit across the coverage. The right. Yep. Yeah. I can see that with that cloud stuff, especially like you take the AWS FF and you plug in the AWS C2 and you take the AWS EE and you like put those all together and you put them in front of the AWS LB2 and then the, the FF4 and whatever. Yeah, it, it don't is. Make me, don't make me break out the AWS <laughs> the icon. Yeah. Uh, do you know the initials aren't much icon? better either. No, they're not. Uh, no, they're not. Is EB Elastic Beanstalk or is it uh, Elastic Block Storage or whatever? That's EBS. Yeah. Oh, my bad. Yes. So, but you knew it was elastic. Yes. Yeah. So next up is how not to prototype. So communicate the intentions of your project. You don't want your prototype turning into release code. This has happened to everybody. It, if you've programmed for more than a year or two, this has happened to you. Oh, yeah. You, you did something and they're like, oh, yeah, make it so. That's done, right? You're yep. delivering tomorrow. It, it goes exactly to Joe's point though before about like how pretty it is. Make it up. Like the prettier it is, oh. then they're going to be like, oh, well, that thing's already pretty close to being done. Let's just release it like it is. Like, mm-hmm. Well, hold on. It's really not. And they're like, no, it'll be fine. We don't even know what, how many users we're going to have yet. No, just go ahead and release it like it is. It, trust me. It's going to be fine. Man, yep. this is so hard too. Like I've actually done projects in the past or even things that I was trying to do on the side to help a project along to where I wouldn't show anybody the how it could be like for instance the elastic search type thing right like a, a search index being that much faster because i didn't want it to be to where oh man that's awesome plug it in and be like no 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 dude <laughs> no no i totally just hacked this into that thing right like i have nothing that we can ship right now and so i totally wouldn't even show anything to anybody because i didn't want that to become a we're releasing that in 2 weeks type thing Yeah, there's, then there's also the other side, though, where you show it too soon and they're like, oh, well, never mind then. I'm not interested. Yeah. Right. Oh, that's not cool. Yeah. Yeah. Either way, you're playing games. Yeah. Hey, you're, you're either boiling frogs or uh, making stone soup. Oh, that's awesome. That's going back a couple chapters. Yeah. I thought you were going to say something about it being a Game of Thrones, but okay. <laughs> now, who won anyway? You stop. That's sorry, that's my Jake. People, that's my people joke, will stop listening to the podcast if we drop information like that. <laughs> uh, I would. Um, Thanos won. 
So yeah. Thanos won. <laughs> um, so yeah, the next one is if you do think that you're going to end up in a situation to where somebody's going to look at it and be like, Hey, this is ready. Then maybe you need to advocate for that, that agile approach or the tracer bullet approach to where you're actually truly writing good code. Yeah, and uh, the analogy they gave here, it's like uh, the going back to the kind of the car model we talked about a little bit earlier. It's like, would you take a balsa wood and glue car that you made out into traffic? I love that. I absolutely loved it when they wrote that. What if your answer is yes? <laughs> you crazy? <laughs> Those people, I'm well, sure. <laughs> you crazy? You never made a soapbox derby car? Not when that you were going to take out into traffic. <laughs> yeah. I mean... What do we call in traffic here? The neighborhood street? Does that count as uh, traffic? 275, no, 75 and 275 inter- intersection. Oh, come on. Yeah. The the danger zone. Yeah. The danger zone. <laughs> All right, Kenny. <laughs> hey, by the way, there is no 275. Wait, wait. Uh, there is a 275, but that's not an intersection. Wait, what? Do you not know the rules of roads? No. Oh, man. Do you, do you guys not? I know like east and west and north and south. Okay. So, yeah, there's that. But if it's a three-number digit and it's an interstate, if the first number is even, it's a loop. If the first number, oh. if the first digit is odd, it's a it's a road that goes straight to a city, a destination. It doesn't loop back around. So, like one seventy-five, I think goes to Columbus. Five seventy-five. Uh, yeah, five seventy-five. You know, goes loops around. Nowhere. Yeah, it goes up to I don't know where. Yeah, it, it truly goes nowhere. But yeah, no. So anything with the odd number is is a destination. Even numbers a loop. What about four hundred there? That's, that's not, not an interstate. That's that's just a highway. That's a highway. So, so I'm looking good. at seventy five and two seventy five here, and two seventy five is it's not a loop. loop. It goes straight down through Tampa, and then hooks back up with seventy five in Rubonia. No, 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 no. Two seventy five is a loop around Tampa, right? Uh, I mean, well, you mean like it's a, a one sided loop? It's a loop. It's like 285 is a loop around Atlanta, right? Well, there's a difference well, between a loop and a bypass. Like 475 is a bypass. Wow, we are way off topic. Ooh. 475 yeah. is a bypass. It That's is. four letters with an even. That is. Yeah, and this is 275. I'm sorry. And then 675 right is also six seventy five is also just a a bypass. Uh, maybe, so maybe it's something that goes around. But it doesn't. It doesn't end in a destination. Is basically what it boils down to. Like one seventy five. Oh, that's Rubonia. <laughs> like I think one seventy five ends in Columbus. God, we're off the rails here. Anyway, <laughs> um, where we ever now, on the rails? Now I've got to find that because it's been a long time since I took All those. Right. Well, while you while you're finding that, let's continue talking about yes. like how to not use our prototypes. <laughs> They can save a lot of property. Uh, <laughs> save a lot of. They can properly save you a lot of money and time by identifying pro- uh, problems early in the process. When used properly, I want to make that yep. first part clear. Also, property, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> See, you keep saying that. <laughs> I'm getting goofy. Uh, this one <laughs> <had a> challenge. <laughs> it's up too late. It's ten o'clock at night. Time to go to bed. Uh, <laughs> Uh, time warp uh so this section had a challenge tracer bullets did not have a challenge it was basically start firing and figure it out this one does uh it says marketing wants to brainstorm or a few web designs and uh they include a clickable image map which is already like ha 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 <laughs> you have 15 minutes what tool would you use to whip together a prototype god an image map are those even used at all anymore i know yeah <sighs> 
I mean, it's definitely not uh, accessibility safe. Was it fireworks used to be the the one back yeah. when this was there? Yeah. They would make it for you so you could just draw rather than having to pick out the points yourself. Mm-hmm. That was huge. Yeah. Fireworks would have been the one back when this was when this was written. So that's a fun one. Yep. So, I mean, what is your go-to? Is that is still cheating or like do you have a go-to visual tool? I, I have one in my tips. Right, well, you paint keep trying to force this on me, man. I do like Photoshop still. It's my go-to. I, I only use like 2% of its capabilities, so basically just the layers, but I use it all the time for stuff like this. Yeah, I remember a lot of people back in the day would do it because it had the slice feature and all that stuff in it to where you could set them up. Back in the day, man, we're talking about still. Do they still have the slice feature? I don't I, I, I don't ever look for that stuff I mean, I, it's not a feature that I use, but I mean – so I can't answer you yes or no on that, but I would have to assume that they wouldn't have gotten rid of a feature. Yeah, maybe like not. Like Photoshop was one of those dumping grounds of features. It was. Yeah. But it feels like, and maybe it's just my use case nowadays, it feels like it's geared way more towards photographers and designers than it was for web design type stuff. I think, yeah, I don't know. Well, I mean, we are talking about a tool that was made for movies. Photoshop was? Yeah. Really? Did I know this? I didn't know that. Did no. you know this, Joe? No. Okay. So here's your little bit of uh, historical trivia then. Photoshop, it's it was originally made to make the movie Abyss. The Abyss. Do you remember that movie? I do. The Abyss. Oh, yeah. It was a good movie. Do you remember the scene where the the water monster starts like snaking its way through the hallways and then they close Spoiler the door alert. on it and it splashes down? I do remember that. Yeah. Photoshop exists because of that scene. Really? The, the, I think it was like two brothers they were making the movie and they started it. That's amazing. Wow, that's cool. I had no idea how right, Photoshop so changed the day. way we work. That's amazing stuff. All right. But you know, I was thinking uh, as far as this challenge goes, like nowadays, uh, depending on your tooling, if you know, if you've got a, a a mature marketing department, then they can just be like, "Well, why don't we just A/B test it?" So I thought it was kind of cool to think like that's how different things have gone now. Like. You know, what, like what picture you want to put on your website? Like that's a two second change. You know, it's not something, but back then, 1998, like that would be something you have a meeting about because it would be expensive change. It would take a deploy and someone would copy that thing up via FTP. And so if people didn't like the image or it was too big or it didn't convert, you know, like there would be a long lag time on that. So it was difficult to tell. It was, is it just me though? Cause like I th- saw this, I don't know. Like I, I had a different of a difference of opinion when I, got to this example because I'm like, well, I can't even tell you the last time something like that was presented to me. Like it's just because the tools are so much easier, I guess now maybe there's just so much more of them that somebody else, some other designer has already like tried that already. And they're like, Hey, this is what we've decided on. And this is what we want. Right. Yeah. It's like, let's just Google what our competitor does. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's probably more accurate. (laughs) Yeah. Done and done. Uh, Ah, that's amazing. Every designer is like, yes, that's that's true. Yeah. All right. So, all right. Well, with that, uh, in the resources we like section, we're definitely going to have a link to this book, of course. And with that, we head into Alan's favorite portion of the show, and maybe he will finally tell us his tools for mocking uh, these UIs. It's the tip of the week. Yeah, come on. All right, your turn, Joe. 
Uh, hang on, I'm I'm photoshopping this picture of 275 and 75 in Tampa. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I actually found a Wikipedia. There's a route number. There's a Wikipedia page that is super long dedicated to this. So it's way more nuanced than what I had said. So well, tell that tell, you can't talk about Flint. You can't talk about nuance to Florida man. <laughs> to Florida man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. oh, that's amazing. Oh, I'm going to put this in the resources we like. All right. All right awesome. Cause that's really what I was doing instead of uh, podcasting. Sorry. Uh, so actually, um, are you familiar with, are you guys familiar with the notion of Zen mode? Yes. Well, websites and like IDEs now have Zen mode. I didn't know so websites like, did. Yeah, Dev too. If you hit zero on your keyboard, it will hide the navigation. It'll hide some other features, and it just gives you like the stuff that you're reading, like the main story. Everything else goes away. I did not know that was a website thing. That's really cool. Yep. So I'm seeing that more and more on websites. This is the first website that I saw that on. It was pretty cool. So if you go into I like one of the stories and hit zero, the like header goes by, all the likes just just basically boils it down to text, which I think is really nice. It's it's nice to get rid of that stuff and it's nice to have the option. But did you know Visual Studio has the same uh, sorry, Visual Studio Code has the same feature? So if you do control shift P, that brings up your little command window there. If you're on a Mac, I think it's like the the funky circle thing P. It's command what shift P. Command. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Well, good. <laughs> uh, if you do that and then just start how do you press command on a windows control window uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> how do you control alt trick question there because he was talking about command yeah i'm all confused it's 10 10 o'clock night <laughs> anyway visual studio code has zen mode and so if you do that it like hides all the other windows and just gives you like the one main pane there kind of showing up which is kind of neat so it's kind of nice like i could see doing that for like a presentation or something like in the future if i'm you know presenting on my computer i'm doing some live coding like I don't have to go close all those little windows and terminals and all that stuff. I can just do control shift P start typing Zen and boop, hide all that stuff. And now you're just focused on my crappy code. Yeah. I will say in visual studio code, it's more of a thing, right? Like when you do that stuff goes away and, and, and you kind of fill in the screen on dev dot two, it just gets rid of the top. Like it doesn't make yep. anything bigger. Well, uh, if you go, go into, into one of the stories. Oh, really? Yeah. Go to yeah, go article. into an article. Dev dot two. Okay, so on the main page, it didn't really do much. Let me go into an article. I'm concerned with the move that Free Code Camp just pulled by leaving Medium. Let's see what this does. Yeah, that was a good read. Juicy. Oh, but it doesn't make the article any bigger. It just gets rid of all the stuff around right. it. Yeah. Okay. I now you said Control Command P. Right? Command Shift P. Oh, Command Shift P. Yeah. That brings up the, uh, what do they call that? The command palette, I think. And yeah. And just toggle. You can do all sorts of cool stuff in there. Toggle Zen. Yeah. Oh, so it goes full screen. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It yeah, does more. Nice, right? It does more than Dev.2. Yeah. It, it's actually really useful on an IDE. Not that the Dev.2 wasn't useful. It just uh, didn't do as much for me. Maybe on a mobile, it would probably I don't know, better. man. I could see that. I could see it on Dev2 becoming like super because do you ever find yourself like you're you'll read one article and then you'll like you'll see another one and you're like oh i i, I kind of can't wait to read that one now and then yeah. you're like you know what i think i've already got the gist of this one let me go ahead and see this other article yeah. right oh yeah like i could see being focused in like having you're basically putting blinders on it right that's really what you're doing yeah you're getting rid of all the stuff around it 
All right. Yeah, the only thing I don't like about it on Dev Two is uh, if you do like Control Plus and Control Minus a lot, which I do, I'm used to hitting Control Zero to get it back. Well, they capture the zero now, and it doesn't it doesn't oh, do that anymore. That kind of stinks. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So the one that you've tried to force me into the entire show is it, it, this is a design prototyping product, and it's kind of interesting. It's called XD. And it's free, which most things from Adobe are not. So that in and of itself is already interesting. And the cool part about this one is you've got things where you have um, responsive resizing panels, grids, repeating animations, all that kind of stuff. The kind of things that you would expect in a prototyping thing. But the part that I thought that was even cooler was that it's interactive. So it's collaborative. You can, you know, whether your team needs to pitch an idea or whatever, then you can get on there and you can collaborate with people on designs. And that's pretty neat to me. Anyways, I, I think that's, that's pretty useful. So that one was cool. And then one of our old sponsors, you know, uh, they had Indigo. You remember which one this was? Yeah. I was actually just looking at Indigo. I used it a little bit. It was actually really nice because you could share easily. Yeah. So. Um, I'll have a link to that one as well. So that was from Infragistics. They have one that called. That might have been our first sponsor. I think it was, honestly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, those are the two tools that I was going to call out that kind of go along with the show. Well, now you've got me curious. So I'm going back here and digging up just to find which was our first sponsor. I believe it was Infragistics. It's been it's been a minute. We're we're at episode one hundred eight. So, in the meantime, I'm going to be looking up some highways here. And you are <laughs> right. It was Infragistics. All right, very cool. All right, so Outlaws, what's yours? Okay, so I I couldn't remember if this one I I was pretty certain Joe already mentioned this one in a past episode, but I couldn't find it in there. So I thought, well, okay, fine. I, I'll it it deserves a a mention even a second time, even if we already did say it once. But I I couldn't find where we had mentioned it before. But um, if you are building a new PC, PCPartPicker.com is your friend. One of the cool things about this thing is as you're building it, right, it will shop all of the sites for you to find, hey, here's the cheapest place where you can buy this. So you're like, okay, I want to I wanna get a new uh, machine. I'm going to build a new rig. I want to build a core i9 rig, right? You pick which one you want. Boom, it'll say like, oh, hey, uh, Amazon has it the cheapest or Newegg has it the cheapest or whatever, right? You can go through all your parts. Plus you get a link that you can share to be like, Hey, look here, you know, if you needed to share that with anyone, like here it is. Plus it, it it's stateful. So like if you leave it and go away, it'll come when you, next time you come back to it, it still has your list there and it'll estimate your wattage as you're adding things along so that you can, you know, see if you're properly sizing your power supply to match what you're getting in there. And you can see builds that other people have done to see like, oh, well, do I want that particular case? What what does it look like? What if I what if I do get that case, but I want a water cool? What is how does that is there enough room for everything for the radiator and all that? Like, I don't know. Right? Like you can see it's it's great. 
I, I'm telling you, like the next time you need to build a computer, if you haven't already used it before, PCPartPicker.com. And it shows you the part price history as well at the bottom. Oh, right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I for, totally forgot to mention that part too. But yeah, you can actually see like, are you on a downward swing for like what the, for that particular part, you know, that you you want to get, right? Um, like that Core i9 that I, I mentioned, right? Like, are, are you buying it? You know, is this a bad time to buy it? Right. Uh, it's, you know, uh, abnormally high. Um, okay. And then since, uh, I think in jo- Joe earlier mentioned the Lorem uh, Ipsum text. So to go along with this, uh, a while back from our Slack, Miguel shared with us Lorem Pixum. So pixum.photos is the URL. And there it's like Lorem Ipsum, but for photos. That's so cool. So you can just find like, you know, good photos of whatever size you need right there. I, I've never heard of this. That's amazing. Right? Isn't it awesome? Yeah, uh, is it as cool as I think it is? Yeah, man. It totally is. Of course it is. Do you do you doubt Miguel? No, that's really nice. I just assumed it would be uh, just kind of cropping stuff weird, but no, it's actually really nice images that you just go get. Yeah. You can do grayscale or blur. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that's really nice, Miguel. Yep. So that's it for this episode, talking about uh, the pragmatic programmer, tracer bullets, and prototyping. And for anyone keeping up, then I should have really called it the programmatic programmer. Um, (laughs) Your tips, use tracer bullets to find the target. And the 16th tip, prototype to learn. All right, with that, subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and more using your favorite podcast app. And also, as Alan mentioned earlier, be sure to leave us a review. You can find some helpful links there by visiting www.codingblocks.net slash review. Yeah, and while you're up there, also make sure you check out our show notes, examples, discussions, and more. Oh, and hey, send your feedback, questions, and rants to Slack, because I just found out that their soft cap on membership has been upped. Uh, as of a while ago, so we're no longer afraid of busting the limit. So you should come join the the coder's best environment and best Slack channel for coding. Nice. <laughs> and you can also follow us on Twitter if you want at Coding Box. Way to sell it if you want. 